Welcome to Crossbridge Community Church. If this is your first time, you never know what to expect at Crossbridge. Uh, but my name is Jordan, and just so excited that you're here. And I'm our online pastor and one of our teaching pastors here at C3. And continuing our series and our emphasis, not just for the month. If you've been with us for the last couple of years, you know that we've been putting and placing an emphasis on uh, mental, spiritual, emotional, and physical health to try to become the healthiest versions of ourselves. And the month of May just gives us that opportunity to be able to create an entire series focusing on our mental health. But something that I've learned as studying it and just, uh, lear- uh, just living through it is that uh, one area of your life impacts the other areas of your life. And so if your physical health is suffering, then I've learned that your mental and emotional and spiritual health will be suffering as well. And why it's so important for us as you read throughout scripture and as you hear testimonies that if you are serious about becoming the healthiest and most disciplined Christ follower that you can, It requires us to be disciplined in all four of those areas. And friends, it's a journey. It is one step at a time. You may have one step forward, two steps back some days. But our goal here at Crossbridge is to help provide some steps that you can take wherever you find yourself on the journey every single day. And so we are in this series called Mind Field, where we are challenging our church and our congregation to become more aware and to break the stigma of mental illness so that we may become the healthiest Christ followers that we can. Placing Jesus at the center. And as I was talking with Brad and Bruce this week, I think there is this stigma, especially for previous generations on mental illness, because for a long time, mental illness was only viewed through the lens of the most serious illnesses, such as either schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or other things that seem to have this negative connotation when they shouldn't, as we've learned and become more educated. And we tend to forget then about some of the... um, other different aspects of mental illness, such as anxiety or depression or burnout or uh, ADD, ADHD, or different stigmas that come with all of those different things. And so our hope as a church is for us to be able to recognize that not only does mental illness exist in different facets, but that we can find healing in those areas as well. And that's what Mind Field is all about. And so last week, we started off the series with the panel discussion. Brad representing the Boomer generation. Kim, our Next Steps pastor, representing Gen X. Myself representing millennials. And then one of our Gen Z leaders, Michaela, representing Generation Z. And it wasn't necessarily being the voice for that generation, but just being a voice within that generation regarding the conversation of mental health. Today, the title of the message is Leave the Porter Potty. Leave the Porter Potty. And I want you to go with me back, actually starting in 2007, to share a story of my dad. Not every one of you knew my dad. He used to be the lead pastor here at Crossbridge before passing away. But back in 2007, he went on a crazy adventure known as the Iron Man Race. And for those who aren't as insane as my dad and know about the Ironman, the Ironman is a 140.6-mile race that consists of a 2.4-mile swim in a lake. You don't get to go to the YMCA or the natatorium. You get to go swim with the leeches and the fishies in uh, in a lake in Wisconsin. 2.4-mile race, 112-mile bike ride, 
and then ended with a 26.2 mile run, a marathon. And this wasn't just like you did the swim and then you came back the next day. It was all consistently and you started at 8 a.m. in Madison, Wisconsin. And if you've never seen an Ironman start, um, some of them do it differently. But for Ironman Wisconsin, and at Madison, Wisconsin, they started the professionals 10 minutes early. And then they started everyone else in one wave. Now, for different races, there are different waves. So you can, like, sign up as the more advanced or you can sign up as like my dad, and the under-advanced, or the less-advanced. And unfortunately, you all start out on the beachfront for this race, and you just run into the water, which seems so unsafe <laughs> to begin a race that's going to consist of 140 miles of exhaustion. And then you're swimming. And my dad, so he, he started this training, and he trained an entire year, and he was a full-time pastor. But the training for this also required that of a full-time job, basically. And it was insane to see him prepare for this. Well, he's going through the race. He finishes the swim at a pace that, um, you know, was, was suitable for him. And he gets out and he eats a Snickers bar to reward himself. And he hops on his bike and he starts chafing the next 112 miles and sweating and just exhausted as he's driving through different parts of Madison, Wisconsin. And then he makes it on his way back and he begins the marathon. And at this point, I think it was about 6 o'clock at night, um, my mom, myself, and my little brother, I was in fifth grade or going into sixth grade with my little brother, and we were like one of those families that wanted to travel all across the city to see him at different places. And unfortunately, because my dad was a little bit slower, we were waiting a little bit longer in some areas, but he finished the bike right at the cutoff. And yeah, some of you may not know, if you don't complete the areas fast enough, they cut it off and send you home. I'm like, hey, good try. Better luck next time. <laughs> you spent your whole year. So my dad barely made the cutoff, and he starts running. And so we're sitting on this street. And actually, when Marissa and I went to Madison, Wisconsin a couple weeks ago for vacation, uh, it was so cool because when we were going downtown and stuff, we got to be on that same street that my mom and my brother and I planted ourselves. And after the first half marathon, it was a little loop. And you would see them do a loop and then turn back out. And so we were sitting there on the street. 7 o'clock rolled by, 8 o'clock rolled by, 9 o'clock rolled by, 11 o'clock rolled by. And me and my brother are passed out sleeping with my mom on her shoulders, and it's pitch dark, and we're look, looking, and there's nobody else there on the streets. And slowly, my dad ends up just trotting along, just one step in front of the other, and he ends up finishing that loop. And so he has just six miles left, and there's only about two hours left until the cutoff, which you might be like, hey, I could walk six miles in two hours. Power to you. But after 138 miles, like, man, he was exhausted, and so we end up getting to the race. Well, anyway, he ends up finishing the race. But as he's on that last stretch, he shared with our church in a sermon, one of my favorite sermons called Make Me an Iron Man. He talks about this time in that final four miles where he ended up going to a porta potty, doing what one does in a porta potty after racing 138 miles. He's got just a couple miles left. And he was emotionally, physically, and mentally depleted. And he was sitting there, and he shared this story of what he calls the just quit voice, where he started to become tempted by the enemy. Dan, just quit, Daniel. Just quit. Nobody back home would be disappointed. 
Heck, they're eating munchies on their couch right now. Nobody would care. Just quit. Just quit. And he's sitting there discouraged, ready to give up. And right at that moment, a gentle whisper that actually came through the voice of his high school and college football coach started encouraging him. Don't you dare quit, Dan Chipwood. You get out of this porta potty and you complete the race. And he said, as soon as I heard that voice in my head, it was game over. He got out. He'd like to think he ran out of that porta potty, but it was a slow walk. <laughs> and he finished the Iron Man around one in the morning. Leave the porta potty. As we're fighting that just quit voice. Friends, when we're looking at mental health, a lot of our struggles, a lot of our battles and faith and life look like, a lot like that of my father's experience in the porta potty. Where we're emotionally, physically, spiritually, and mentally depleted, whether it's exhaustion, whether it's burnout, whether it's constant struggle after struggle, whether it's PTSD from past struggles, whether it is chemical imbalances in our brain, or whether it is situational or environmental struggles where we are tempted by the enemy to just quit. Nobody will care. Nobody would even care if you're gone. Nobody would miss you. Just quit. And it often comes in the form of just this subtle whisper. You might have seen those cartoons with the little demon on the shoulder and the little angel who is much more attractive than should be, sitting on the other shoulder, tempting the, the follower, the individual, just quit, just throw in the towel. And what we're going to be looking at today is what it looks like for us to exchange that just quit voice for the voice of truth. And what does that say about our faith in Jesus to leave the porta potty. Because here's the reality, friends. As someone who has battled mental illness since sophomore year of high school for the last 10 years, it's a fight. It is a battle. It is a struggle. And I want to share with you, I am by no means a professional. Okay? I am certified in mental health first aid, and I've journeyed with this for the last 10 years through personal experiences. But I am by no means a professional. A lot of what I suggest is a both and, a professional help and a spiritual help. Like I said, it's about getting all of the areas of our life. Some of us have a stigma with counseling, and I understand that. Some of us have a stigma with medication, and I understand that. There are some uh, serious things to consider in all of those areas. But regardless of how we fight our struggles, it's important that we fight. Because I think too many of us just sit in contentness with where we are. And not intentionally. Many of us would like to say and do fight, fight, fight over and over again. And then we get to a point where we're just done. And we ask the question, will I always feel this way? And it's a serious and an honest question for us to consider. But scripture tells us a lot about that question and a lot about mental health. And so I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to be reading about an all-star prophet, actually considered the all-star prophet. As Jesus is actually on the cross, the Israelites are mocking him 
saying, oh, look, he's calling to this prophet, this prophet being Elijah. Elijah. And so I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to read a story about suicide ideation, where an all-star prophet who was closest to the God of gods, who was actually a carrier of God's word to God's people. And you see, what's fascinating about this story with Elijah is in chapter 18, right before this passage that we're going to read, he had just seen God do incredible things. He had been competing one on the group by himself with God against a group of prophets from the God of Baal. And he's taunting them, making fun of them, telling them, he's like, hey, if your God is so real, how about you call him down? And how about you have him perform this miracle? And shocker and spoiler alert, boy, Baal doesn't perform the miracle. And then Elijah ends up showing them through proof that God is king by performing a miracle himself. And so he sees God work at his finest. Well, the followers of Baal gained word and were frustrated that all of their prophets failed. And so they sent news to Jezebel and Jezebel was angry. And so she starts pursuing Elijah to kill him. And this is where the story takes place. First Kings chapter 19. If you'll turn with me there, it'll also be on the screen. The author writes this, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, Elijah said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 10, Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death by the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. We're going to stop there for just a second. Elijah, like I said, had just seen the mighty hand of God perform this miracle, and then he is on the run for fear for his life. And there's that line where he gets under the broom bush, and he pleads with God. He says, God, take my life. I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. And so many of us are that same 
person underneath the tree or in the porta potty saying, I've done this. I can't fight any longer. The feelings of anxiety, the feelings of depression, the feelings of worthlessness, the feelings of hopelessness, the feelings of uh, manic, the feelings of exhaustion, the feelings of stress, the feelings of fear are overwhelming me. Take my life, Lord. And if an all-star prophet can feel this way, then it should give you some encouragement about feeling that way too. That you truly are not alone in how you have felt. But how does God respond? In a way that I think is so fascinating. He doesn't take away the struggle. He doesn't take away the, 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 the fear. He doesn't take away the anxiety. What does he do? He sits with Elijah through it. And encourages a snack and a nap. And I've heard it said that there are fewer things that are more helpful for us in our mental health than a good snack and a great nap. Accompanied with great community. And so Elijah eats and he rests. And then the angel of the Lord appears a second time and he nourishes him again and he sits with him in community and he provides for him the strength that is needed. And then Elijah goes off on this journey, ends up in a mountain cave and starts sleeping again. And this is where the story picks back up a second time. Turn with me to verse 11. The Lord said to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So Elijah then starts to just share with him of his struggles. And God gives him his next anointing. And he goes out and he anoints Elisha, who ends up replacing Elijah in just a couple of chapters. But I love what God does there. He meets Elijah in the cave and he says, the Lord is here for you. And then he starts showing him these different things. And he starts showing him an earthquake and a fire and this wind. But the Lord was not in any of those. Where does Jesus appear? Where does God appear? Where does the Holy Spirit appear? Through a gentle whisper. And here's what's so fascinating about this, friends, is we have the enemy who speaks through toxic people or toxic thoughts. But God meets us where we are in ways that we will best receive him. In this case, it was a gentle whisper. In my father's case, it was through the shout of his college football coach in a porta potty. 
But in Psalm 29, it's through these loud, thunderous roars, and it talks about the powerful voice of God, because God has the ability to meet us where we are to be received how we will best be received. And that's what's so encouraging about our struggles with mental illness, is so often we're looking for God in the earthquake, and we're looking for God in the fire, and we're looking for God in the windstorm, and in the hurricane, and in the chaos, and all along, where is God? A gentle whisper next to us and within us. Is it hard sometimes to feel? Absolutely. Is it difficult sometimes to see? More times than not but his presence is always present with us through the Holy Spirit. Friends, we will not always feel this way. Though the darkness you may be experiencing may last a while, or for some of us, as Paul talks about this thorn in his flesh, mental illness may be our lifelong battle. But the way you are feeling right now will not last. For the gentle whisper always comes but it requires us to fight. Friends, here's what I want to encourage you with, is this idea. Don't give up on the plan during the pruning process because you'll miss the beautiful blooming that happens afterwards. You see, a lot of our suffering, and this is this concept with suffering. First of all, nobody likes suffering. If we did, it wouldn't be called suffering. It would be called eating at Chipotle, okay? You don't have to enjoy suffering. But it is important that we reap the benefits of suffering and enjoy them and allow them to grow us and prune us until this beautiful rose. You see, we've accepted the pruning process with all of the other areas of our life, whether it's exercising, going to the gym, going to the track, to rip the muscles or to put your body through exhaustion so that you can become stronger. We've accepted the pruning process when we are uh, crystallizing different diamonds and applying pressure to different rocks to have different forms and the beauty that comes from those. We've accepted the pruning process with all of the other areas of our lives, going to school for education or to trading school uh, for knowledge or going and, and becoming a parent, which is exhausting. And so we've accepted this process in so many other areas of our lives. We enjoy the benefits of that. But when it comes to suffering, we often turn to God's abandoning me. There's no way God's goodness could be present in this situation. But friends, God always comes through. Time after time again, God continues to prove to me that we won't always feel this way. Sure, the darkness may last a while, but there's hope that comes in the morning. So here's how I want to close today. I want to give you this analogy. It's called collect some stones. Collect some stones. While I was in counseling uh, just a couple years ago during one of the darkest seasons of my life from about 2020 or 2019 until about the end of 2021, the first couple months of 2022, I started to do counseling. And friends, it came from my father-in-law telling me that he noticed some issues with how I was um, acting as a result of some of my struggles, and he offered to pay for me to go to counseling 
to be able to work through and heal through some of those things. And so I did. My counselor was talking to me about this life of David and Goliath, and he was sharing with me this analogy, and he asked me this question. For those of you who aren't familiar with the story, pause on the question. David and Goliath is, is found in, I believe, 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. And Goliath is this giant who is leading the Philistines to battle against the Israelites, to conquer them and to enslave them. And he's this large man who is taunting the Israelite nation, and nobody will go fight him. And so David, the small shepherd's boy, teenage boy, ends up putting on some armor, realizing it doesn't quite fit, takes it off, and then he goes to the creek. And he collects five stones to go and sling at the giant. Long story short, he ends up slaying the giant with one stone. Well, my counselor posed this question to me. Jordan, why do you think David collected five stones if he knew that God was with him? Wouldn't he just need one? And I was really confused, but I leaned in and I listened and he said, because David was trusting that even if the first four stones missed, God would come through on the fifth one. And then he connected it this way. He said, too many of us, when we're fighting mental illness, we only have one stone in our arsenal to fight. And when that misses, we give up. Some of us try going to the gym, which is a great, great stone to pick up to fight against mental illness. And that doesn't work, and so then we're just discouraged the rest of the day. Some of us spend time in prayer, which is a great, great stone. But sometimes that doesn't take away the pain. Some of us are on medication, and we still have off days. Some of us are in counseling, and we are not finding the healing that we need. Some of us are reaching out to our community of friends. Some of us are journaling. Some of us are walking. Some of us are spending time in nature, in art, in music, and we are trying thing after thing after thing, but the problem is we're only trying one thing or two things. And then we get up and we become discouraged. And we stay in the porta potty. And we quit. So friends, here's my challenge for us. Collect more stones in your arsenal. Become aware of the different ways that we can fight mental health, or sorry, mental illness, to have a healthy lifestyle. To lean in spiritually to what God has in store for us, to believe the voice of truth that says you are loved, you matter, you are cared for, you were died for, you are his masterpiece. And it can be a beautiful thing. Well, friends, as Brad shared, I wrote a book about all of this. It's called Will I Always Feel This Way? I, I wanted to put a slide up, and this feels really awkward for me to do. Um, the staff made me do this. This was really weird, okay? Because to me, it's not about selling copies. I, I really couldn't care less about selling book copies. But here's the point, okay? I wrote this book as a vulnerable testimony and a Crossbridger actually sent me, I've been looking for an organization to partner with for this book to donate all the profits to and the proceeds to. Um, uh, and I wanted it to be a local organization uh, where 
someone who sells as few of books as I do, the amount of money would still make a difference. And so you don't want to donate to like this $50 million budget when you're donating like $75. So, you know, I, I wanted to be able to, you know, help an organization out locally. And so um, this organization is called Live with a semicolon. And what's so cool is um, I reached out to them yesterday. And they are a local organization with a mission in Allen County to stop suicide, to spread love, and to spread awareness. And it was started by a teenager, I believe, which is what's so cool about it. And their goal is to sell 60,000 of these T-shirts to the, to the area and to the world to be able to start spreading awareness. And um, I would turn around and, and show you the QR code on the back of the shirt, but that felt a little awkward. And so just go to liveindiana.org to learn more about them. But 100% of the profits from this week of sales and then 10% of all forever sales, I'm going to be donating to, to Live Indiana uh, to their mission. I think we're actually going to be doing an event with them and I'm going to go speak and we're going to just talk about mental illness and mental health and it's going to be so cool. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, an organization that spreads love and the, and the love of Jesus. And so um, you can either, again, buy the book, which will give you a ton of practical next steps and stones that you can collect. Or if you'd rather just donate because you're not necessarily a reader, and that's okay, uh, liveindiana.org is a great organization that I'm excited about. Um, like I said, I actually didn't share this part. They didn't have a shirt ready, and so they actually rushed one for me to be able to wear today, which was so cool. And they delivered it this morning at 6.45 a.m. at my house, um, which I was so overjoyed with. And so, friends, you won't always feel this way. You may be in a season that has lasted 5, 10, 15, 20 years. But there are things we can do right now to fight back and to take back what the enemy was stolen. It may just require us to leave the porta potty. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for this space. Thank you for, thank you for just you and for always coming through. I appreciate you. And you have helped me in so many different ways with my struggles. I lean into you, and I pray, God, that all of these people would lean into you as well. In your name we pray, amen.